Hi, this is Pastor Mike Gordon, and welcome to Bethel Brandon's Sunday Message. For more information about this podcast and more resources, visit us at BethelBrandon.ca. It is Easter. He has risen from the dead. Amen? Is that not something to shout about? When you stop and consider what Christ has done for our sins, the thing that we have to celebrate is not a time to be quiet. It is a time to celebrate the wondrous power of God. Now, at this time, you always get uh, uh, things that are shared and, and, and pictures that are given. If you're on the internet or if you're on Facebook or anything, this was one that was, uh, was recently shared. Lockdown never really worked around Jesus. Isn't that true? As we kind of get through this, this pandemic, it didn't work with Jesus. It's not going to work with him. He can't lock him down. Now, as we are trying to get together a sign, I saw one sign that was interesting from a Lutheran church that basically said this. It said, we celebrate Easter 52 weeks a year. You are welcome to any one of our Easter services. Isn't that true? It's kind of true the way it is. And, and, and as you look at the Gospels and as you read about um, the resurrection. And, and hey, folks, I have been in ministry for over 30 years. And uh, I have, in that time, accumulated a number of messages uh, on Easter. Uh, but uh, uh, I think my favorite rendition is that of Luke. And there's a, no, a couple reasons for that. And it, many times, the, the, all the Gospels actually give an account of the resurrection. And some of them are a little bit different. You say, well, isn't there something wrong with that? Well, no, uh, because each individual is different. If you have someone talking about a car accident or something and you have different witnesses, all of them have a slightly different variation of the actual thing that had happened. And certain of the authors were writing to different congregations or different, uh, different uh, groups of people. Matthew was writing to a Jewish congregation or a Jewish group. And, and Luke, he was a Gentile. And, and uh, Mark had a different agenda as he was writing. And so was John. And so they all have different details, so you get all the details from everyone, and you realize that, that the story gets right, and, and if every one of them were exactly the same, every detail, you would wonder if there was something going on. Uh, one of the things that I always laugh at is, uh, if you read, and we'll be reading this in Luke, he says, and so Peter went, and he ran, after they told him, they ran to the to the. To the, to the gravesite where Jesus was, to the tomb. John says this, Peter ran to the tomb, but John, who was much faster, beat him to the grave, and he didn't go in, Peter went in. Well, why would he write that? The only reason I think that John would write that is he's basically saying this, hey, for the record, if there was a race between Peter and I, I would win. It's kind of what he was saying, I'm thinking anyways, just some of the things that were, were taking place. And so let me read the passage of the resurrection from the book of Luke, okay? And it starts in, in, in Luke chapter 24, uh, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read the first um, uh, 12 verses because I think it's important uh, to honor the Lord's word as, as we read it on the Easter story. It says this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices and had prepared them and went to the tomb. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like light stood beside them. 
In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, and here's what I really love about this rendition, about Luke's story. He says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. Remember he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The man, the son of man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then he remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, bending over, and he saw the strips of linen lying there by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Wow. Like, do you realize how hard people have worked to discredit the resurrection? Throughout history, people have talked about the, the fact that oh, we couldn't have risen from the dead. And they've done everything that they could. They, there have been, been false claims that they have found the grave. They have found Jesus. All of these things. Because this is the thing. The hinge pin of the Christian faith is the resurrection. Because if they find all of a sudden a grave with Jesus in it, then our faith is in vain. But if Jesus really is raised from the grave then what we are doing is we are celebrating today the most profound thing that happened in history. And so every time I speak on Easter, or around Easter time, even if I'm not speaking, I always try. When you've heard the same story year after year after year, you become aware and you celebrate and it's still as wonderful but there's nothing like the very first time that it happened because you don't know the drama is unwinding for the very first time. Now I ask myself, how would I have felt? What would I have been going through? You stop and consider what had happened the very first time. It would have been hard for people to, to figure it out. What would their story be like? What must they have been thinking? The emotional roller coaster. Think about it, folks. You know, you were just waving palms and, and celebrating and saying Hosanna a week ago. And all of a sudden, one of our followers gives this guy up. A, a trial that was totally against the law happens. And they crucify him just like that. And, then, and we're left all these thoughts, all these promises, all these things were told to us. And all of a sudden, it seems like it was all for naught. What were they thinking? What was the emotional roller coaster? They go from the depth of despair to the, the utter heights of bliss and, and, and happiness and joy. And I couldn't understand it. And even after Jesus resurrected from the dead, the utter power of the miracle would bring them an apprehended celebration. Yes, this is wonderful, but I kind of saw him die. I know that he said all these things. This is wonderful. Really, is, is somebody playing some kind of trick on me? Is this some kind of cruel joke? Yeah, he raised from the dead. I haven't seen him yet. I see the open grave. I, I see the clothes there. I, oh, you can understand. I think I would understand what he was going through. And you read on in Luke chapter 24. The story continues, and it says in, in Luke 24, verse 36, and while they were talking with Jesus, with this, about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. 
They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, why are you frightened? Why do you doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. See, if, see that, I, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Then he goes on in the next verse and he says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, got anything to eat? Isn't that kind of funny? He appears to them. They still almost don't believe. Really? Hold on. Is this a ghost? I can't believe this. I know his grave was empty. Here he is right now. He says, guys, it's me. Look, look at my hands. Look at You can see, feel, and touch me here. Still don't believe me? Give me something to eat. Does a ghost eat? No. You see, what had happened is the joy had come, but there was still the fact that the experience had to follow. It was kind of like a hand grenade effect, don't you think? Wow, this is incredible. This is almost too much to believe. And now, bring our back, ourselves back to this day 2,000 years later, and we take a look at the resurrection. We take a look at the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead and, and all the effects, and we begin to realize all that has happened since the resurrection. That all of a sudden, the way that we look at the poor and the way that we minister to those who are in need is totally different. It's totally different than in the Roman era. They didn't give a care. They just let you die. A pestilence came. Well, you're on your own. I'm here. Even family members said, hey, listen, I love you, but I don't want to catch what you got. Right? And it was the Christians who began to come in and began to minister to the needs. And it was the Christian, it was the Christian organizations and it was the church that began to see women in a whole new light and racism in a totally different way. And, and, and it was the hospitals and orphanages which were started by the church. The majority of our universities today were started by Christian organizations. The way we think, the way we respond, the freedoms that we have are a result of the resurrection of Jesus. It's incredible, and, and, and to think of all of this, but yet at the time that it happened, they still didn't realize the magnitude of what had taken place. Let me just tell you this. In these particular times, I think it is important to realize the legacy that, that Easter leaves behind. When you think of Easter, there are a number of themes that come to our mind, these incredible truths, these, these themes, these foundational realities, which become our life preservers in times of trouble and in turbulent times, perhaps like what we are going through now. What is it about Easter? What is the legacy that it leaves behind? It transcends, it transcends uh, time, and it transcends generations, and it transcends pandemics, it trans, transcends any challenge that we go, and it stems from this. So the, the legacy of, of, of Easter makes you say this, what do you think, folks? What do you think of when you hear of Easter? What does Easter represent to you? I think that there's three huge things. First is this, that part of the legacy of Easter is realizing that we serve a powerful God. He is powerful. Whenever I think of Easter and what God has done, you realize that nothing is impossible for him. That anything that I will come against or ever had come against is not bigger than God in his ability. He is all-powerful. And this is something which is incredibly comforting for me and for you as well. 
stop and consider. The very first sentence of the Bible reveals that we serve a powerful God. The first ten words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's pretty powerful stuff. That's a pretty neat trick. I don't think that I can do that. Can you? No. Think about it. I like the way Psalm 147, uh, 147, verse 4 and 5 says this. He says, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. God is great as our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. And as you look at the Bible and go through the Bible, you will realize something, that in the Old Testament, the the, uh, exercise of God's power was Passover. We know the story, if you've read the scriptures uh, for any length of time, you realize the power, the, the power of Passover that had happened while the, the Jews were in Egypt and, and the whole thought of the blood going over the doors and, and, and if the angel saw the blood over the doorposts, and then the firstborn would, would not be, be killed. It would be preserved. An incredible exercise of the power of God. And that's what, that's what in the Old Testament you, you related the power of God to. But the New Testament... It was the resurrection. It was the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And when you begin to believe and realize the power of God, it does a number of things. The power of God basically proves the reality of God. Jesus' number one means of evangelism was the miracle. He turned water into wine. Five loaves, two fishes, feeds 5,000 people, a whole bunch of baskets left over. People who were born blind, people who were born lame, all these things taking place. Other people raised from the dead. Hey, people said, there's something about this guy. This must be God. It proves the reality of God, the power of God um, also um, gives us confidence. Hey, if you have a huge miracle that happens in your life, If God all of a sudden has you healed in a miraculous way, the next thing you come up to, you know what? One of the first things that happens in your mind is this. Well, he healed me of this. Surely he can do that. Hey, he rose. He rose from the dead. So what is that compared to the situation I'm up against now? There's a confidence which is created. It draws people. The power of God will draw people. You know, we come to church not to hear a guy speak. We come to church because we want to experience the power of God. It refocuses our worship. It's, it causes us from worship and looking at ourselves to worship and seeing God for who he is. And, and maybe most of all, the power of God is revealed through the saints. The power of God is revealed through us today. I, I like the way Paul says it. Paul in, in Philippians chapter 3 verse 10 says this. I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. It also says in the fellowship of his sufferings, but for the sake of what we're looking at now, I want to know you, God, not just in a regular way, but in the fullness of your power, in the resurrection kind of way. I want to know that power. And in Ephesians 20, he says this, and and we hear it all the time. It's a benediction that sometimes we say. He says this as he ends chapter 3 in in, Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or imagine. To him be glory. 
And in 1 Corinthians 4.20, he says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk. It's living by the power of God. Folks, we need to see the power of God. Are you living in a circumstance? Are you going through a time where you're saying, God, I need to see your power? This world needs to see the power of God. And it's personified through Easter. It's part of the legacy of Easter. That's one. What about this? Another part of the legacy of Easter is that of victory. That we win. That something had taken place on Calvary that causes us to have victory continuously in our lives. Think of the contrast between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Like that's the ultimate comeback story. We can talk about comeback stories. Many times in sports we talk. I was watching a basketball game. Within two seconds they took a shot from half and sunk and they go on to the next round. Well, that's I guess somewhat of a comeback. You can, you can loosely say, what a miracle. Well, no, really? Someone rising from the dead. Well, that's a miracle. And you can talk about sports comebacks and you can talk about career comebacks and you can talk about injury comebacks. But nothing compares to the resurrection. It is victorious. It is the ultimate comeback story. And one of the greatest takeaways of Easter is that you can have victory in the midst of the chaos that you are going through. I, I don't know if I've told this story before. But it impacts me as, as I, I do. So if you've heard the story before, then please forgive me. Probably won't be the last time you'll hear a story more than once. Sorry. Um, Rick Warren, incredible man of God, wrote the, wrote the book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, uh, and, uh, and a whole number of, of things, and, and has a tremendous church in Saddleback. Uh, is it Saddleback? Saddleback, uh, uh, California? Anyways. Um, a number of years ago, he suffered an incredible loss. His son, Matthew, at 27 years old, after a battle with depression and discouragement, um, gave his life, uh, took his own life. And, and that just utterly crushed their family, just as it would any of us. And about a year afterwards, um, in a speech that he gave, he said this. You know, a lot of people ask me, so how do you, how do you get through? How do you make it? How do you deal with the pain? He says, when people ask me that, a lot of times I will say this. The answer comes down to Easter. And then as he begins to explain, he says this. He says, if you consider Easter, the fact that it happens over three days. And the first day, there's the suffering and the pain and the agony. And the second day, there is doubt and confusion and misery. But Easter, Sunday... That's the day of hope and joy and victory. And you know what? Here's a fact of life. Throughout our life, we will experience all three of those days. You will go through your life, and there will be Fridays in your life where you're dealing with sorrow, you're dealing with difficult situations, and there will be Saturdays where you are just confused as to what is going on and not too sure how to make ends meet. But it is the Sunday that is the thing that will keep you going. He said, in the times of your pain, there are three questions. What do I do in my days of pain? How do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? And, and third question is this, how do I get to the days of joy and victory? And he answers Easter. The realization that in the midst of everything, 
there is a joy, that there is a victory that we can hold on to. What is it that you are facing today? What is the, the difficulty that you are going through that says, I just can't get through? Like Faith is victorious. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living no matter what men say. He lives. He lives. Isn't that true? Isn't it great? There's victory over sin and death. There's victory over the sting of death, as it says in 1 Corinthians. There's, there's victory in the reality of heaven. There's victory in the fact that Jesus said, I'm going to give you life, but I'm going to give you life to the fullest. There's victory in the fact that there's healing in his name. There's victory in the fact that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. There's victory in the fact that no one, it says in John chapter 10, verse 28, there's no one who can snatch you from his hand. There's victory in that. There's a new perspective. There's victory over time. And you may be going through the worst time in your life right now and still be living in victory. Is it not true? It's been a tough year for me. It's been a tough year for many of my friends. One of my closest friends, his daughter, who was 32 years old, just died on the mission field. She died. Try picking up the parts and figuring everything out. I have a friend, one of my best friends in Sudbury, all of a sudden took ill and happened December 27th. He, he, he took ill. He is still in the hospital trying to recover to this very day. Some of us haven't seen relatives in over a year, a year and a half. Some of us have lost loved ones. And instead of being able to enjoy a funeral with everybody around we are left with maybe one or two and not being able to grieve the way we kind of hoped or the way that we wanted. And, and we're kind of stuck in the midst of all this. But let me just tell you, there's a foundational perspective of victory that gets absorbed into our DNA as Christians. And it's not a condescending cliche. It's not wishful thinking, but it's based on the reality of a resurrected Savior. We have victory no matter what power of God, the victory of God, and the last one, which of course is this, hope. One of the Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. Hope is one of those things. Hey, First Peter, when, when Peter is writing his first epistle, he basically says, he says, you are born again into what's called a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. We read Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, I have a plan to give you a hope and a future. The resurrection of Jesus offers us an unshakable hope because of what God has done, the peace, the presence, and the power of God. The resurrection is that domino that always leads to good news. Well, if Jesus died from died and rose again, then that means my sins are forgiven. If my sins are forgiven, then then there is, there is provision of God and atonement for my life, and therefore I have hope. If there's a heaven, then I have access to that if I give my heart to Jesus, and it's based on the fact that even though I don't deserve heaven, something happened 2,000 years ago where he died for my sins, and it's not just the fact that he died for my sins, but the last domino is this, that he rose from the dead. Is that one thing that we go back to. It is that hope that we have. I said, Paul says this to the Thessalonian church. He says, you know what? We grieve those who have no hope. Look it up in 1, Corinthians, or sorry, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and he's talking about the return of Jesus. Hey, we're different. The author basically says this. You, Hebrews 6 says it the best. Hebrews 6, the author basically says this. You have hope 
as an anchor to your soul. It is one of the main symbols of the Christian faith. There are two, there are two symbols in the, in, the, in the New Testament that were popular. If you go into the catacombs where the Christians were buried, you will see two symbols. One is that of a fish. The other is that of an anchor. Well, why a fish? Well, the term for fish was ichthus. And there was an acronym, ichthus, rios, Christos, or Jesus Christos, Theos, Rios Soterion. There we go. Two years of Greek, and that's all I know. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. Ichthus. It was a symbol of the church. And as Christians talked, and they were being persecuted, and they couldn't mention his name, they would talk to each other, and one person would put a line in the sand. And as the other person talked to them, on the other side, they would put another line in the sand. It would be fish. It was symbolic. The other one was an anchor. Well, why an anchor? Well, because of Hebrews. We talked about the fact that you have this anchor in your soul. And, and although things are tumultuous, and all things, things all, although things are tough, there's a hope that we hold on to. There's something which is there, and, and hope is resonant. It was, it was resonant when Jesus sits down with the disciples and says this. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. I'm going to go, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Hope was resident when he's hanging on the cross, and there's two people, one on one side, one on the other. And finally the one says, you know what? I deserve what I get. God, can you somehow remember me? And there was hope resident even on the cross when Jesus says, hey, today you are going to be with me in paradise. This whole thing about hope. We can't live without hope. And I think we don't realize that we can't live without hope until we begin to lose it. God, move. The power of God. You need the power of God. The victory of God. The fact that we live in victory. And the fact that there is a hope that cannot be ever taken away because of this thing which we call Easter. All centers around the gospel. I like the way... Timothy Keller describes the gospel. And uh, just as we get prepared to, to take communion before, before we go. This is what Timothy Keller says. He says, the gospel is basically this. You are worse than you think, and you are loved by God more than you can believe. The bad news is this, that you're not just a bad person. That you are spiritually dead in your sins. You are living in the kingdom of darkness. You are not in relationship with God, and you are his enemy. But the good news is this, that Jesus didn't come to improve you or make you a better person. Jesus came to bring dead people back to life. He came to cancel the debt that you owed God. He came to bring you out of darkness into his light. He came to give you unshakable hope. And the thing is, you can know that hope. And if you don't have that hope, you can know that hope before you go. It's basically saying, God, here I am. I'm a sinner. Come into my heart. Be Lord of my life. I give you everything. So, Father, I just pray now in Jesus' name, before we take communion, for any people who might be here, or any person that might be here just listening, and they're wanting to know for sure that hope. 
Lord, we just pray this prayer together. Dear Father, I am a sinner. I've fallen short of your law, and there is nothing that I can do to make it up. I am hopeless on my own. But when you came and you died on the cross for my sin, and you rose from the dead, you paid the price. So God, I accept your gift of salvation. Help me to live for you. I give you absolutely every part of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, if you said that prayer and you meant it. The Bible says you have a living hope. A living hope, not just hope, a living hope. Let me direct your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. On this Easter Sunday, as we get to celebrate together communion, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It goes on in verse 25, it says, In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you drink, or sorry, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a privilege it is to do that, to stop and consider, to realize the goodness of God and his grace in our life. So as we end this, this Easter service, I want to just... Recognize what Christ did for our lives. If you could take the wafer out. Let's participate together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And as you carefully peel back the second top there. Father, we just want to say thank you for dying for our sins. And as we participate together in the grape juice, which represents the blood of Jesus, Father, I just pray that you will be glorified and worshiped together. In Jesus' name, Father, we worship you. Father, we worship you. In you, I have hope. In you, we have victory. And your power is undeniable. May you be lifted up. May you be glorified. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Let's continue the conversation online. Visit us at BethelBrandon.ca or follow us on Facebook.